the toy became very important and we needed to develop a lot of things in there every day, every year. We need to think about new ideas and things that are at cost that we can do. When we saw what they're doing, they had a better proposal on the product. You sell something that is Montessorian, that has steam related topics for the kids to develop. Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can uplevel your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today, all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil, is Guy Martins, who is the CEO at Sandbox Experiences. Guy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be in your show, and I hope we can discuss a lot of things about subscription and more. The things that I did right, did wrong, things I want to do in the future. Nice to be here. That's perfect. That's exactly what we like to talk about. But let's start at the beginning, of course. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you guys came to start Sandbox Experiences. Well, Sandbox Experiences actually is the newest thing that we have right now, but from the beginning, when we founded Late Turinha, Late Turinha is a subscription box for books. And we had a great feeling when you go out with your kids. And we were recent parents, my partner and I, we were going to shopping malls, bookstores, and we were always buying something for the kids. And we decided to think about how we buying the right thing, right? So we never know. We are mechanical engineers, computer science, so no publishing background. And we decided to give it a try to see how could we implement something that would solve a problem for the parents when related to buying the right books for the specific age and the right teams. So this is the idea. And coming 10 years after, more or less, so we're going to be at our 10th anniversary next year, we're now with Sandbox and Sandbox Group that has four verticals. One of the verticals is the one that I lead called Sandbox Experiences. I'm very proud to be in that position because I am doing today what I really would like to do, which is creating a portfolio of companies subscription that we can gain on volume, traction, geographical exposition and more. Gotcha. Okay. All right. A lot to dive into there. But let's start back. And I was looking at your LinkedIn profile online. And so even before that, you were working at Fleet Corps. That's interesting. Yeah. I had a family business where we sold it to Fleet Corps. It was the first or second buy that they did in Brazil. It was in 2013. I worked with them for a year and a half, more or less. It was a very interesting time. I got to know how to work with American people. We got to learn a lot of things from them as well. They got to understand a lot of things that I we were doing here. And I used to be the tech director for Latin America with them. And this company was the one that gave me the background on subscription because we had a, a subscription-like business that were, it's still around, they still own it. It's interesting thing that manages benefits in Brazil related to transportation, fuel cards, meal vouchers, things like this. This is a more B2B SAS company. Okay. Yeah. Wanted to ask about that one because at least one division of Fleet Corps happens to have an office right down the street from us. So it's like, that is a small world. <laughs> yeah. No, I got to work with almost all the founders in there, people that turn around the company. It's a very interesting story from them. 
Yeah. Okay. So sold that business off, work for them for a little while, and then start. All right. Tell me a little bit more about Leiturinia. That's the book subscription company. Yeah. Leiturinia means small reading in Portuguese. It's a very difficult word to translate into English, but it's like a nice word for you to say to children when it's related to reading in Portuguese does not have a similar word in Spanish. So people sometimes ask me about it, but Leiturinha, the concept that it has is from parents' point of view to serve parents. We saw that we had a problem with our children and we could solve it using subscription as a way to create the habit of reading. So the recurrence of the delivery of the packages with instructions for the parents on how to read the books toy inside for the kids to play around and get a more positive experience around reading. And also when they receive that, not only is the first mail that they got in their life, but also when they opened, there was a toy, the family got together and they start to read. So this is some of nice experiences that we try to develop for the product to be successful. And for our surprise at the time it was, we never thought somebody would buy from nobodies at the time, books that you don't know what is inside, if the books is really good or not, because it's a surprise. So we never knew if the concept would stick to the audience, but hopefully it did. And it's a nice, successful story to now. Lots of ups and downs for sure. Lots of learn that we did in the past. So that business would started, I guess at this point, eight-ish years ago. I'm curious about the perception of subscriptions in the Brazilian market. I think it's pretty different in the US than it is in the rest of the world. So what was that like bringing that product to market? Were our subscriptions the sort of thing that Brazilians are used to or are they apprehensive about it? They are apprehensive about it. At the time, like 2013, 14, it was the beginning of a second wave, as we call it, for subscription. We had a small boom on subscription, but all the companies failed. There was shoe subscription, a lot of things, a subscription. But all the, the things that we learned about it and the KPIs that you have to track, it was like some mystery for the people at the time. And when we started the business, we understood that the concept of the subscription should be more linked to the creation of a habit instead of a subscription services as a convenience. So this was the big thing that we did. But for the Brazilians, Normally, they would subscribe for magazines. They would subscribe for some types of books in the past. So we had a big book distribution subscription business called Clube do Livro, Clube da Leitura. They achieved 800,000 subscribers in 1980, door by door, just like encyclopedia. And it was a thing for all the best. They received a lot of collections of books. Everybody was willing to buy it because you were building your own library, your personal library. The Brazilians' convenience with recurrence is also different when you think about buy now and pay later. It's a kind of a new concept for U.S., for new markets, for big markets. But for Brazil, it's something that is really old because in Brazil, we have a very high interest rate for your credit cards, like 300 plus 
So it's 300, 500 in a year. So you never miss a payment. And you don't pay the minimum on the credit card. And what they did to solve that is to buy installments, just buy now and pay later. So they have a very complex system here in Brazil that you have a guarantee to receive the money that you pay installments from someone, just like a Klarna company will guarantee that you're going to receive whatever Nick has bought it and they are going to pay it to you. So with that in mind, we decided to sell subscriptions on a six-month period as recurrence. So every six months, we do the renewal for the customers. And right now, we're doing on an annual basis. So we can sell 12 months guaranteed. This is our normal type of sale that we do. We do have recurrence on a monthly basis, but the best price comes under the annual offer. And it's not a prepaid. So you pay installments. And the bank that issues the card, they guarantee you the receivables on the credit card. Okay. So when you establish that installment up front with the consumer's bank, you're guaranteed the funds. You're just given the funds over a period of time? Yeah, they will give to you on the basis that the customer has bought, but you have the access to that fund if you want to factor that receivable. So it's an option that you can use, and we did use to leverage the company at a time. Yeah, so you build up that book of receivables. I'm curious then, at the end of that interval, does the consumer, if they want to keep this subscription, need to opt in again? No, it's something that you do on an automatic basis. Normally, if people want to cancel, they will be warned before that the renew is going to come, and then they can cancel before. Gotcha. And so are those the only types of payments that you can do on a recurring basis with consumers? And is that considered a bank-based payment or a card-based payment? Just trying to make parallels to what we know here in the U.S. It's considered a card payment base, even though the credit cards in Brazil, they're all issued by banks. And those banks, they're the ones that guarantee the receivables to you. We have more options on payment, something like a title that you can pay in any bank. We can do the recurrence over that. We have now a very modern way of payment, which is called PIX. It's an instant transfer 24-7 between every bank in the country. So it's almost instantaneous. But you do have to schedule all the payments using that. And you don't have the access of, if the client doesn't have the funds, you cannot reach into their limits. So it's something a little bit different. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about growing that business. You became a father. You decided that a book business made a lot of sense with your founder. You start to launch it. What's that experience like for you, especially as it relates to being in Brazil? Talk through some of the early logistics, some of the early headaches or just hurdles that you guys had to get over to get this thing off the ground. Yeah. Now it was really interesting times. We had five people, the curator, some people for the purchasing. And we have some people for the packaging as well, which were just shifting turns between them. And the nice thing, we were just using the post office from Brazil as the logistics. So we delivered the packages, but to fulfill the packages, it was interesting because we used to hire university graduates that they're in there doing the university or the college, whatever. And we paid one real per package for the students and they were in there at night just grabbing some money to go out for a beer. And as we work with craft paper, 
we didn't have the money to pay for a personalized draft paper with our characters. So we created some stamps with different colors and the people were just like, but play on the paper first. We had a cord that you wrap around it and make a lace. So the package was really nice. And there was something else that we developed at the beginning. A friend of ours, it's a scent specialist. And she asked us to create a scent to spray on the package. This was amazing, amazing. Everybody remembers the smell from the product. It's really something that we didn't thought about. Okay, we can try it. And up to now, we buy liters and liters of the scent. So it was very interesting. We had to push a cart across the street with a lot of packages, go to the post office, just like a regular customer, give it to the post office. And then we start to grow. They opened a store, just a door for us to go there and send more packages and more packages. But at the time, it was really funny because we needed to do everything, everybody doing everything. So for us to grow, it was very bootstrapped effort that we did at the time. The company's base is still based in a very small city in Brazil called Poços de Caldas. And very nice people that we could find at the time to work with us, doing different things, psychologists, being customer attendants, people working on purchasing, like not on that function, never in their life. So it was really funny. But after a time, it started to get very difficult for us to scale because the logistics of the things, they started to get very big. We didn't know how to manage the inventories and stocks in an efficient way. We were just hiring new places and new pallets and new things and just moving things and getting a lot of money in-house. So we were very scared at the time. But we started to grow, hire some new people. We did on the first year a thousand subscribers. Then on the next year, we went to 10,000. So it's like the 10 time duplication was really difficult. Then we were able to go to 30,000. We reached the 30,000. And then we had three places in the city, one for administration, two warehouses and people moving around the city every day. It was insane thing that we did at the time. But I think the biggest difficulties we had was when you start something out of the blue, you are a nobody. Nobody gives you any easy way to pay or do a very good condition for you. So you have to get over it, being creative, doing different things, trying to solve this kind of problems when you don't have the scale or the power, purchasing power that we get now. Would you say the best advice there is just be scrappy, negotiate those deals, try to find the workarounds and solutions wherever you can? Or was there an overall strategy that you had? Now, I think we needed to deliver the best experience for the client. So we were actually paying not with a very deep discount on the books that we're distributing. So we're thinking more of the long-term relationship with the clients. And this created a quality seal attached to the brand start to get a little bit bigger. People were doing mouth-to-mouth indications like saying, this is a nice product, you should have it. It was much easier for us to work at the beginning. Also, what we did was to put a lot of effort on the digital marketing at the time. In Brazil, 2014 was the beginning of Facebook advertising, Google advertising. 
We studied a lot. We had some people studying this night and day. We were trying things manually, finding new ways to sell on a cheaper cost of acquisition. I wish that we can have those cost of acquisitions back right now. They were really nice at the beginning. Acquisition costs have gone in a direction and haven't stopped. But let's go back to those early days. Talk about how did you guys grow this business and acquire new customers? What channels did work for you and which ones did you try out? Maybe we're like, yeah, that's not going to work for us. We started from digital advertising, Facebook and Google. We tried some other channels like Bungle, some other advertisement companies in digital, but it was almost 100% in there at the beginning. And we were just reinvested all the profits that we got from the business into the marketing cycle. And six months, the company was profitable. So we said, nobody's going to touch the money, just reinvest as long as we can keep track that this cost of acquisition is getting a good return. We did this at the beginning up until 15,000, 16,000 subscribers was the way we used to work. So we never reached a very large amount to be spent on Facebook and Google till the time we got our first deal. But we tried after television, open TV, cable TV, radio, newspaper, some magazines, inserts, partnerships with influencers at the time still do it to this day. So we try to cover maximum things that we could do. Some partnerships with big brands like Nestle, Danone, things that sells for children. So we were working, creating some bundles, physical presence in stores. We sponsored some participation for uh, book trade shows, things like that. But we tried a lot of things during the time. Yeah, you spouted off a lot of different channels there. Are they still doing all of those to this day? Or is there some other areas that you're focused on? Yeah, we stopped television. It stopped working for us the way we saw that it was working. We still do Facebook, Google, and other digital channels. They are our bread and butter, as I say, but we are trying some retail partnerships as well. So trying to sell the products into retail stores. We're doing more on the influencer side, micro-influencers, preferably. So we created an ambassador program for leafleting in as well. So then did you guys grow that and sell that business or is that all now part of Sandbox Experiences? It was a partial sale. We sold at first 25% of the company to PlayKids that belongs to Prozis, the one that I mentioned to you. So this company had the biggest subscription base for a digital product in Brazil. They had more than 200,000 subscribers for the PlayKids app. So the idea was to find a strategic investor that could help us with scale, money, and networking as well. So we found them, they liked what we were doing. We saw there was some opportunities on bringing physical products together with the digital offer. Because on the digital offer, you have a much bigger churn related to the physical products normally in Brazil. This is what I see from our experience during the time. And then we decided to see what can we do on a cross-sell basis, upsell basis. And they gave us some money. And then we used that money to leverage both companies. 
And this was the selling of 25% of the company. They had the right to buy 26% in two years. They did it. So we sold 51% and we stayed with them as minority shareholders of 49. But then in 2018, we decided to merge both companies, Play Kids and Leiturin into one entity, creating a holding that had the option to be the owner of both. So we became the owner of the holding shares and then everybody was owner of everything. And this was the path that we did with Mosley. After a while, we created another company inside Display Kids Holding, and we separated it before we sold the company Leiturinha and Play Kids to Sandbox. So now we sold 100% for them. I'm still a small minority shareholder in Sandbox. So I swapped my shares from Leiturinha and Play Kids into Sandbox shares. This is the Baffin Transway. Yeah, that's often how these things go. It's never a straight line. So what all then is within this holding company, within Sandbox Experiences? Today, we have Leiturinha plus Tukambox. Tukambox is a arts and crafts subscription box based in UK that serves UK, Germany, and France, some part of Italy as well. The thing that made us go for these companies that they do, one of the basic things that we do inside Leiturinha, which is the toy. The toy became very important inside the kit of Victorine. And we needed to develop a lot of things in there every day, every year. We need to think about new ideas and things that are at cost that we can do. And when we saw what they're doing, we saw they had a better proposal on the product. So you sell something that is Montessorian, that has steam-related topics for the kids to develop. And we said they do a magazine plus a craft. We do a book plus a toy. If you substitute the magazine for our book and we substitute our toy for their craft, we would have the same product in different location. So that would give us more control over the products that we do and also more geographical presence as well. Gotcha. Okay. So it was really, it was just a strategic play because the businesses were so similar. Cultural is very much alike. People think alike, so it's really nice. Yeah. So then let's talk about those synergies for a minute. Where have you guys learned from what they did and implemented it and maybe some vice versa? I think we are still learning from both sides. So we closed this deal in September last year. The idea that I see from them is that they are really good on developing the products. So they put up the time to create something that the children will play and will learn something from it. And what we do, I think that they have learned upon us is that after you reach some scale, you were able to create your own books as well. So this is something that we're trying to do. I think we exchange a lot of things related to customer retention. This is something that I believe we did a lot of things. We improved a lot the retention rates on Tukum Box. And I think we learned from them as well how to purchase from China, the importing things, they do a lot of it that we don't do normally. What have you seen as some of the key in-country differences? Maybe the way that you guys interact, convert customers in Brazil versus those countries in Europe? It's very different, I can say. The way we approach 
is almost the same, but I see the way that people think about the products is very different. So as you said at the beginning, subscription is something that is already in their minds, UK, Europe, and they are afraid of subscribing anything. They think they're going to be cheated or something. It's not a good deal, but something they're afraid to do. So in order for you to conquer these clients, you have to offer the easiest way to cancel. So they just go try, and if they like, they're going to stay. And in Brazil, it's different. The point of view is more on a convenience way. So it's convenient for the client to receive this. Brazil is very huge. And we have 5,500 cities. And if you pick no more than 200, 300 cities, we'll have a bookstore. So they don't have the possibility to buy. And another thing that is also really important, I make always a calculation based on the minimum salary on each country and the price that we have as the ARPU. So what is the amount that you're taking off the minimum salary in these countries? In Brazil, it's high. We have a 1,300 reais as minimum salary. That'll be $260. And we take... Three, four percent of that salary if they want to buy it from us, which means it makes a difference on their budget. We don't have the access to all the addressable market. We have to go to the higher classes and then to like middle class, middle upper class. And these are the major targets that we have in Brazil. On the other hand, in UK, it's 0.4, 10 times less the impact. So anyone can buy a subscription from us. And with that in mind, I think these are the big differences that we see. We try to, to adapt the offer that we do, putting more on the value perceived for the client, what they're going to receive, why to do the subscription, the storytelling on the journey that the children will go through if they stay with us for the 12 months, let's say. So you're going to be exposed to this kind of topics. This way, you're going to improve your skills or motor skills. So there's a lot of things that you have to do. And in Brazil, what I see, people really like the concept that we already created for the family gathering, for the children to play. So it's a bit different. I see the way we approach the clients. Yeah. So that's all kind of pointing out what the end consumer perceives the value to be. To kind of summarize a little bit of what you said there in the UK, it's more about the curation and you're probably saving some parents time from going to the stores or having to pick out things on their own or you're just putting it in their mailbox there each month. I suspect perhaps on the Brazilian side, could they perceive that as just a value in going out and buying it on their own? Especially if you're talking about it being kind of a material percentage of their income there. Those are just different value points that are probably perceived culturally. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So in UK, what we saw is that if you don't show the perceived value for the clients, it's going to be just a cheap offer. You just have to go through promotions, free boxes, all those things. And this doesn't work for the subscription as you don't have a really good margin. So you need to have the recurrence working perfectly in order for the business to stay profitable. Yeah. So when you're then marketing, particularly in Brazil, when you're saying the population of Brazil is what at this point? 215 million more or less. Okay. Very large country, a lot of people. 
but you're saying that there's only a certain segment of that population that's even really going to consider your offer. You know, when you're doing Facebook ads and anything online where the acquisition costs or the marketing costs are just ridiculous right now, how have you guys fine-tuned that to make sure that you're getting after the right prospects? I think we have done a lot of investment, not only money-wise, but also time that we spent together with Facebook and Google to understand the best impacts. Facebook and Google, they have changed a lot since the use of artificial intelligence, since at the beginning that you had to pick some of the possible groups and lookalikes and things like that. So it changed a lot. At the beginning, it was easier because there wasn't a lot of offers for the clients. They received small offers and it was easier to convert. After a while, they had to show it to more people in a very specialized way, time of the day, the day of the week. So there's a lot of particularities that we have been working through. And it's an interesting fact for Lake Turinha, our big days occurs during the weekdays and not on the weekends, which is normally the opposite for things that people don't relate to education. So it's a decision that takes more time to buy Lake Turinha instead of purchasing a subscription of a game for your kid. It's something that we started to see this kind of a behavior. We know the 85% of our customers, they are female. And so it's the mother or the person that takes care of the children is buying right now. So we started to use that in our favor and also creating a organic traffic for the website using blogs using some other ways that we could attract people with interesting topics for the families or raising kids and everything around it. So we could gather a good number of followers and people that goes into our links on organic matter. But this is the only way, just combining organic with the paid media is the way that we can work. When you brought Literina and Play Kids together, did a physical good and a digital good in a way, I'm sure there was the strategic cross-selling opportunity there, right? You've got all these digital consumers who you can market a physical product to. So that cross-selling opportunity. So what you bought in Europe, and if you're looking at launching new products or acquiring new companies, is it always going to be that strategic fit for you where we're staying with children, the educational and play component? Or do you feel like, hey, we know enough about subscription now that we can go into a different segment altogether? The idea is that we try to maintain the core attendance of families. So we could go more for the parents. We could go for the house, for the pets. But we are trying to find opportunities that fits easier in what we have right now. For us to do something different, we're going to do this for the companies that are into Sandbox Group. For example, in Sandbox Group, we have a company called Cool Math Games. It's big in US and number of users. It's a very interesting website, which is no more than a thousand games. And there's a very large audience in there. They like the brand. They like to play because it's authorized to be played in schools. When you think about this, they don't have any kind of physical offer. The audience is very different from ours, like from 14 up. So we need to think about different things. We're also seeing an opportunity today from companies that are doing things for age ranges from 10 and up. 
So we could expand the age range that we have from today. We go from zero to 12 and we want to get up until 16. I would say for the future, nothing holds us on doing different things on subscription. I really liked the story of Mike Salguero. I think you have interviewed him in here from ButcherBox. So we thought about food. Can we do something? Is that feasible in Brazil? Can we do this abroad? Can we bring the concepts that we have, the systems, and implement this in some other country? We're actually think on those kind of opportunities. But I also take a look from companies like Love Every, KiwiCo. They're big benchmarks for us. Yeah, you definitely answered the question there. I was curious because once an organization is structured around the concept of subscription, and I've worked in both transactional companies and, and subscription ones, they are structured entirely different, right? The way the company thinks about the customer and the engagement, even finance and operations, IT, everybody, it's just a totally different structured type of organization. Interesting that pretty much everything you name still, for the most part, sits within the physical subscription arena, some digital as well. Is there one versus the other that you think has a better return right now and you guys are going to focus a little bit more on? If you're going to ask me which one I would prefer, on the emotional side, I prefer the physical product. Being pragmatic, this does much better, much easier. So we have an app for Leiturinha that we're thinking about creating an offer, a digital product that will be attending parents and the children at the same time. So this is being developed right now. I believe not only it's a need for any physical product subscription business, because if you think about it, when you're physical, you just have one point of contact with your customer one time a month. Normally, if you deliver one time a month. So with the app, you can interact many more times. The idea for me is that we can find something that will be attractive enough for people to pay as a supplementary subscription or an independent subscription that they can upgrade to the physical one or just stay on the digital one. But I do believe we need to do the digital side as well. Okay. On that, take that a step further. Are you offering potentially some of these acquisitions or different products as add-ons to existing subscriptions? Are you looking at bundling things together or are you just trying to, for the most part, keep them separate, but maybe do some cross-marketing? There are the three that we're trying to do. So if you think on the Sandbox group, we do have Play Kids, Hopster, Kidobi, some other assets that we can work together. On education as well, we have family education, websites for teachers. So what I'm trying to create inside the group is what kind of synergies can we offer? What kind of bundle that doesn't need to be a new product, but it's just the offer on both. We want to do and always try to explore what I call the complementary products around what we do today. So if we have a big user base, it's natural for you to be offering this, but I think this is a more marginal increase for you to move the needle. You'd need to think of something new or go to a new region. In our case, different departments are taking care of those things. So business development is what we're trying to do with Sandbox Group to create bundling that we already have the products and it's just a sum of things that we're going to be selling. But on the other hand, for us to create a thing that is related to the product, sell it to the user base that we already have, 
we do on a more natural way when we create our budget for the next year, the things that we're going to do with the longer term projects. Have you guys looked at or considering strategic partnerships or alliances, maybe not with companies that you're buying, but with other products that just are a natural fit for what you're offering to do, either bundling or cross-marketing? Yeah, uh, as I mentioned, since the beginning, we try to go after some big brands. We try to work with P&G, Unilever. We have Nestle, Danone, some food products that we bundle it together. It works, but not a recurrent way. So it's more or less like a campaign, a promotion. We have to do this, but it's not creating a new revenue stream, I could say. For me, what we're trying to do today is just offer the knowledge that we have in subscription for this kind of companies. So there are a lot, very large company, international company that searched for us and said, can you do a subscription box for me? I said, yeah. It works, depends on your roles and responsibilities of each. If it makes sense, why not? Yeah, that's interesting. So they started looking at you as potentially a strategic subscription operations partner, I guess, to do perhaps the marketing and the billing and the technology and infrastructure that you already have. Yeah, we have, I think, in Brazil, two big subscription boxes. One is wine, wine.com.br, and the other one is ours. We're the ones that have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Nobody else has the same amount. Well, it's been a very interesting conversation, and it's certainly fun to talk about how subscriptions are operating in different countries than the U.S. that we typically talk about. For anybody listening today that wants to learn more about your products or maybe has questions about what we talked about today, where are the best places for them to go? We have the website for the Sandbox Group, sbxgroup.com. You can find majority of the contents that we have. For mine, Vertigo, it's the sandbox experiences where you find the links to Lake Turinha in Tukumbox. You can shoot me an email if you want. I can put the email after if you want to share with the people that they want to reach out. So I think these are the best places to see. Also, my LinkedIn as well. Yep. I was just going to say your LinkedIn profile is pretty easy to find. So that's a good source as well. But again, thank you so much for the time today, sharing everything that you've learned along the way. It was a really fun chat and best of luck to you guys. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Hope this episode reached a lot of people and they got some answers and they got some sparkling to start new business as well. Awesome. I think it did. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.